0: In the holy name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. After the shootings at Virginia Tech, I read about some peculiar vandalism that happened on the university campus. There was a garbage truck that was splashed with bright white paint in great big letters asking a very simple question Where is God? This is probably one of the most intimidating questions I think we as Christians can begin to answer, because I think sometimes we ask it ourselves. When things like 9-11, the tsunami, Katrina, earthquakes, Rwanda, AIDS, and even the shootings at NIU, when things like that happen, we probably wonder where God is too, and I think it's At this point, we have to take a step back and carefully listen to the question that's being asked us as the church. That question on the side of the garbage truck, where is God, was not so much a question of existence, but presence and truthfulness. See, in the midst of suffering, whether it be from death, famine, disease, people often wonder where is this loving God that they hear about but often never see. Now, some will see that and just say, There is no God. Others might just begin to apologize for God. Or others just will say, He's too busy. Too far away to care about me. But at moments like 9 11, the tsunamis, the NIU shootings, I think everyone is wondering to what degree can we actually rely on God to be with us? I think this is why the disciples' reaction to Jesus' ascension is so peculiar. The disciples in the Gospels are portrayed as characters who have depth. They are not shallow, straw characters. So to assume that, of course, they would react the way they would react is maybe reading into the Gospel text. Because it seems to me that the moment that Jesus leaves, goes up into heaven, grief and pain would set in. Questions like, are we alone now, Lord? Or the question, where God is? It is a question that just comes to my mind. But rather than asking questions, the disciples head back into the lion's den of Jerusalem. They head back into the place where just weeks earlier they were scared to go out in public. They were afraid of being arrested. Rather than hesitancy or apologies, they are just simply filled with joy and continue on doing the things that they just do. They continue on worshiping and praising God. It's not less joy now. It's more joy. More joy heading into a world where Jesus is no longer visible, like he once was. More, more joy actually heading into a world that's defined by war, famine, and disease. That might sound like our day, but that was the day of Jesus also. How could the disciples head into a world like that, with so much joy? Joy. One of the things we know about these 12 apostles was that they did meet a martyr's death. So perhaps in the back of our minds, we're asking ourselves, well, were they really joyful the rest of their lives? They just saw Jesus. This is the time of the peaks. There will be a valley in their life However, that's not what we know of the disciples' death because they had joy till the end. In fact, that was one of the questions that was given them at their trials and persecutions. Where is your God now? But tonight we find out that the disciples see life differently, completely different. See, rather than Jesus being separate from them, he's in them. Jesus gathered the twelve around him, opened up their minds to his word. That word that Christ should die, rise again, and that this message should be proclaimed to Jerusalem and to the ends of the world. As Jesus opened up their minds, he put into his word. Thus, their, his word is now enfleshed in them. In fact, it is incarnate in the disciples. The disciples now embody Jesus. Because now, as they head to Jerusalem, they are not by themselves. They are with Jesus. They carry Jesus in them just beginning in Jerusalem and ending at the end of the world. You see, with Jesus in them, as them being partakers of his divine life, his resurrected life, they are now ready to enter into the chaos, the chaos of this world, the chaos of our lives, and actually redeem the chaos. Part of the word he said to them was chaotic. Our Lord's crucifixion is the chaos of all chaos. But it gives way to the resurrection. See, if the crucifixion is redeemable, then there's no part of our life that is irredeemable. If we can stand here tonight and confess that God dying on the cross is our redemption and is redeemable in the resurrection, then we can certainly leave here tonight with great joy confessing that not only our lives, but the lives of those we run into are definitely redeemable. The thing is, though, for for us to share this message, we just have to simply listen to the question. When my wife and I lived in Fort Wayne, we had one of our neighbors over for dinner. When you're studying to be a pastor, inevitably, seminary education comes up. And of course, my seminary education will definitely lead to Jesus. And I asked my neighbor, Are you Christian? And he did consider himself a Christian, but frankly, he never went to church because he was hurt by the church many years ago. You see, he believed in God. His fundamental question wasn't one of existence, but one of presence. He, like that student who painted the question on the side of the garbage truck, needed nothing more than the presence of Jesus Christ. This is the one thing he desired in his entire life. And the one place that promised it took it away. At the end of the evening, though, when it was dark, I said to him, things are different now. Things are different now for you. Because I stand before you as the church. No longer will the church be the one who hurts you or abandons you. From now on, the church is the one who invites you over for dinner. Now the church is the one who loves and communes with you. You see, at that moment, Jesus was embodied in front of him in my family's face. Because God's word was definitely enfleshed. It was, it was incarnate. And once it's incarnate in front of him, I simply direct him back to the altar I asked him when's the last time you received holy communion and he couldn't remember. He was starving. He was wondering where is God. And all we had to do was point him to Jesus at the altar. Because it's at the altar where Jesus Christ comes in his body and blood. Soul divinity comes with his real presence to repair the damage sin actually caused. And this is why we're here tonight. It's it's the same for all of us here. Because as we are approaching our Lord at the altar, we'll be standing before Jesus, just like the 12, in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. We'll be standing before Jesus. And he is opening our minds to his word, giving us his presence in order for us to head back to Jerusalem, head back into the lion's den, head back into the world that might hate us. But with Jesus in us, with us carrying the real presence of Christ, it only makes sense that we joyfully head out of here into the world. Because where Jesus resides, there is no room for anything but joy. So like the disciples, with Jesus in them, we too share the joy by sharing the gospel, by witnessing to what Jesus just told us. He had to die, but he rose again, and now he calls us to repentance and new life. And And at the altar tonight, our Lord will then bless us like he did the twelve, and he will dismiss us to head back into the world to carry his presence to others. We'll leave the altar tonight as little Christ to the world. On page 12 of the bulletin, as we pray in the proper preface, we'll actually say this. we'll actually pray that our Lord might make us partakers of His divine life. And as we are partakers of His divine life, we have no fear and only joy as we leave. And if we don't get it in the proper preface, we'll get it in the post-communion canticle on page 17. Thank the Lord and sing his praise. Those are joyful words. Tell everyone what he has done. He has given us the words to say, Christ has died, he's rose again for you here now. Let all seek the Lord, rejoice. They are seeking the Lord in his church. They have found where God is, and that means rejoicing. And proudly bear his name. As Jesus said to his twelve, you are leaving here tonight to bear the name of Jesus, and where Jesus' name is, there is he also. And we get to tell everybody how he recalls his promises. And it's not as if we, we can talk about somebody else's fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled the promise to this guy. But we can actually talk about it in the first person. He fulfilled his promises in me, for me. And now it's for you. And he leads us forth in joy with shouts of thanksgiving, which is very similar to Luke chapter 24. So as we say these words, as we sing these words, let it be our prayer. Let our minds be open that these words might indwell in us. So that when someone does paint, where is God, on the side of a garbage truck, or someone asks us face to face, we can say to them, God is standing right in front of you, in his word, in me, and let me tell you what he's done for both of us. the proof that God is with us is here at the altar and it is indwelling in us. So now the question that first appears to be the toughest one to answer, the most intimidating one to answer, is a simple answer, but it actually requires our entire lives to answer In the midst of suffering, where is God? He is there caring for the sick. He is there caring for the poor. He is there caring for the downtrodden. And he's in us, so that we might share his word. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.